0: Welcome to the Hurricane Labs Podcast, I'm Heather, and this week we're doing a special double release to follow up on the Log4Shell vulnerability. This follow-up is a two-part series, so be sure to check out SockTalk Log4Shell when we release it on Friday this week. For today, we're going to be hearing from two of our pen testers, Colin and Dennis. They're going to be sharing a bit about what they've seen with regards to this vulnerability and what security teams should learn from this red team perspective. So Colin, Dennis, uh, thank you for joining me. Now that uh, Log4Shell has been around for a few weeks, what's been your experience? Have you had any pen tests come up where you've used this?
1: Have you done anything with it, Colin? Yeah, so um, I went through some of the POCs and uh, wanted to test it out uh, to see how, how it works. And it's it's pretty trivial to to set up. Let's see, the. I, I think the blue team people probably have it a lot harder than... Uh, we do in terms of uh, responding to this because exploiting is much, much, much easier—a uh, much easier task. Yeah, the the exploit's
2: easy, and it's also so it's in a language. It's an injection that's in a language, and the language is um, recursive. You can insert some syntax that makes it like a, a format string or a template where you can put this variable in there. But if the variable contains more of that language, then it recurses deeper and does it again. So it tries to parse the outer, outer, you know, like dollar sign curly brackets. And then as it does that, if it runs into another dollar sign curly brackets, it goes, it goes deeper, which means for us as pen testers, um, there's going to be a ton of bypasses. You have a lot of stuff to play with in order to attempt to bypass web application firewalls and other kinds of things unless if whatever defense system you have has a parser for this then i don't think it will be easily stopped except for with the patch itself it's going to be everywhere and it's going to be in the weirdest spots so even if i'm testing something that's asp or that's not java Um, That is not supposed to have Java anything to do with it. Log4j is in so many weird places that there might be some outside logger somewhere else that somehow gets information at some point or another that ends up getting logged and causes the vulnerability.
0: Where are some unexpected places that you have been seeing or, or hearing of Log4Shell being an issue?
2: I've seen a, on Twitter, someone had showed a picture of a gas pump that they used their credit card on. In their credit card, they got it with a Log4J payload in the credit card, and it crashed the gas pump. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah, because like, how do you update a gas pump? They're going to be slow to update, so... We, we forget that, like, it's <laughs> it's going to be in the weirdest places. I heard a story of, uh, of a casino that got ransomware because they broke into the fish tank.
0: Yeah, I remember hearing about that. So smart appliances are an issue.
2: That's the idea. If your fish tank is running Java or fancy coffee machine that runs off Java, then you could get ransomed because of Log4j and you forgot to update your fish tank. So... That is one of the biggest scary aspects of this. Is well, the big the big storm seems to be over now. Um, later, we're going to find out just how bad it is, and then later after that, we'll find
1: out it's worse. I suspect. Yeah, I there's going to be a handful of people who haven't got the bulletin, and uh, their their fish tank gets popped. Despite everything else being up to date. Uh, Like, is there medical devices
2: running log, running Java? Uh, I bet there are. So it's, uh, that's the most scary aspect is that um, it could be anywhere. Not to be uh, fear mongering, but that's the, that's part of the scary part. One of them, one of the big takeaways is how ubiquitous this is. And that um, Java, I feel like, is one of those things that like seeps into everywhere, that even if you're a C++ developer or whatever, it's gonna be everywhere, is one of the big takeaways. Uh, you probably know more about that than I do, because you've done a lot more with Java than I have.
1: Yeah, like, I, I think that's the, the big thing, because first of all, Java runs on like 3 billion devices, or so they say, and Log4j, I guess it, it helps to have some background, uh, it's like a logging framework so uh, to kind of help facilitate uh, writing error messages and like recording you know information uh, debug information or, or errors. So a lot of tools use this and it it it's a very very basic vulnerability in that all you need to do to exploit it is to get your string or get a piece of text uh, to get, sent to one of the logging calls so uh, a lot of times like a common example is uh, web servers will be logging user agent string or user supplied information or even like a username like so and so this ip tried to log in as this user well you can put the specially crafted string that has a jndi reference which is a an enabled by default feature of uh, log4j or at least it was And it allows, basically, allows you to retrieve information and like Java objects from other sources, which is kind of a kind of an issue because um, you know it's 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 on by default, and it's not uh, you know if you if you if you're not otherwise aware of it and you're just using Log4j, you're immediately vulnerable to this vulnerability uh, without without even knowing it. So that's that's kind of another big big issue of this that I I, I think is, is finally changing and that they've been patching out.
0: What else do you find concerning about this vulnerability?
1: From a pen tester
2: perspective is the potential to miss it because of egress filtering. So in general, in order to attack this thing or to detect it, you send this string that causes a LDAP or an RMI query outbound. So let's say you have a web server that's vulnerable. I send it the evil payload, and then the server itself doesn't tell me, uh, doesn't respond to my web request saying, hey, I'm vulnerable. It makes a DNS request and an uh, LDAP or RMI request in order to uh, get information out of band. So this is um, seeming essentially has nothing to do with HTTP, it's nothing to do with the protocol I'm sending the web server being vulnerable sends something else out. And if that is filtered by the web server, by some tool or something like that uh, on the network, then as far as I know, it's not vulnerable. I never saw a callback to my DNS server. I never saw a callback to my LDAP server. As a result, I can't detect if it's vulnerable and it hides. And so it might hide for longer until someone finds a bypass that works for your specific situation, maybe they find a way of hosting the vulnerability on GitHub so that your LDAP query retrieves a Java object from GitHub's domain, which is whitelisted inside of your egress filtering
1: or something along those lines. Yeah, those are those are good points. And it's kind of unfortunate that um, like from the reporting side, because this has like a CVSS rating of 10, which is the you know that's like top marks of <laughs> you've, you've, you've aced the uh, you maxed out your vulnerability uh, here but the you know our ability to confirm the existence you know the the actual exploitability of it uh, when egress filtering is in place like Dennis said, um, kind of makes it a challenge because, the best you can put on a report is that we think it might be vulnerable, um, you know, based on version numbers or some other behavior, or worse, just not have it appear at all. So it's very high risk uh, to have and very easy for it to just not, uh, you know, be visible to us on the testing side. So if you do get
2: a pin test with us or with anyone else, it's good to make sure that burp collaborator or any other callback server that the uh, pen testers are using is whitelisted. Uh, burp collaborator, you don't have to worry that burp collaborator, I can't use that to cause code execution in this case. I'll just get a DNS and a connection request. But burp collaborator won't answer with a Java object and get code execution. Um, I think you can trust burp in that way and the way they've designed burp collaborators to make it anonymous so that they don't know who's talking to it using some neat cryptography tricks but if uh, burp uh, like the burp extension that I mentioned earlier all of those payloads call out to burp collaborator and what and one of the neat things about this vulnerability is you can tell whether it is uh, this vulnerability or a different reason that the callback is happening just by embedding a second payload inside of the URL So for the you pin testers out there and bug bounty hunters Don't just put the JNDI RMI or JNDI LDAP request that you see in Twitter inside of uh, Your payloads check to see a DNS request see, you know, like get a DNS callback and say that's the vulnerability uh, because it might be a false positive. Uh, there's a lot of things that anytime it sees anything look like a, a URL or a domain name, there's various things that just reach out to find out what the IP address is, which will cause the DNS request in a false positive. Uh, you can embed a second variable in there. So instead of saying call out to hurricane labs.com, you say call out to hurricane labs dot, dollar sign, curly brackets, lower uh, colon F, lower colon whatever, um, in order to add a second variable in there. And if the DNS request has a lowercase F or a lowercase whatever, uh, whatever payload you used, then that means it was evaluated and it's log4j doing the evaluation. And you can be confident that it's actually log4j and not some other uh, system just looking up DNS stuff. So in that sense, uh, Log4j is very kind to us pen testers that if we get a callback, we can verify that the callback is a result of Log4j parsing. But if we don't get a callback, there's no reason for us to believe that there's a vulnerability. And trying to guess what your egress filtering is, and for us to register multiple domains in order to, you know, like domains cost money to register. and. It's not easy just to like start registering them in bulk in order to to find what your egress filtering allows. So it's good just to like the uh, outbound stuff that the pen tester asks to be whitelisted. It's good to whitelist that just to make sure you're catching it at least for the
1: duration of a pen test. Yeah, and that's a good point about the um, URL scanning where you might be inclined to send off a, 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 one of those JNDI strings with a URL in it and you see a, a DNS query back when, in fact, it's just an automated kind of like how Google or, or I think other services like Discord will uh, kind of auto scan them. Uh, but yeah, the, those showing up is false positives. Similarly, in, in, in that vein, you can apply like WAF uh, bypass attacks in there, kind of like what you were talking about, where, you know, some web servers might, uh, some mitigation techniques might involve just looking for, you know, dollar sign, brace, JNDI, you know, do regex, some some basic regex for that. Um, But uh, it's worth knowing that that's not an effective mitigation strategy. Um, And you see this with JavaScript and other uh, other things where you can insert sub expressions into it that get evaluated like lower colon, whatever, which makes the character lowercase. Uh, so you can kind of really mangle uh, uh, the input and on the server or when looking at the string itself it doesn't look malicious and it doesn't match the the traditional pattern, but when it gets evaluated on the server, it will will be kind of resolved down and executed, uh, executed actually malicious code. Yeah, as a pen tester, I'm sure Colin's thought of this
2: too. I've, uh, I've, I'm sure you've run into this where we'll find a vulnerability usually happens with cross-site scripting, which is a similar vein, like he was saying, where JavaScript is very difficult to parse because of how expressive it is. So It's very difficult to detect whether something is JavaScript. I can make JavaScript look like something that is not JavaScript at all. Mm -hmm. So many times I've had um, find cross-site scripting in some system that could not easily be patched. The vulnerability itself couldn't easily be addressed because it's not the client's system or it's not the client's code. And so they want to put a band-aid on it for now to at least move forward and offer them some protection. And so a WAF is a great choice for that, except WAFs don't ever work out of the box. With cross-site scripting, every time, pretty much every single time that they've just added a WAF, I've immediately bypassed the WAF. On occasion it's worked. Um, usually it takes some fiddling in order to get the WAF to be effective at all. And even even if you fiddle with it a bunch, Quite often, there's situations where the WAF has to be more restrictive than the website will allow, and normal traffic will end up getting blocked by the WAF, um, depending on how the injection works. The JNDI vulnerability, this log4j, isn't nearly as bad as JavaScript and cross-site scripting. It is very difficult. I don't think you can exploit this without the dollar sign curly bracket. So, unless uh, the server allows multiple layers of encoding or something like that, then you will see dollar sign curly brackets, which I should say, multiple layers of encoding is not uncommon at all. That's one of the best ways to get cross site scripting past a WAF. But even still, adding in those, you know, like sub variables, whatever you want to call them inside of the URL and inside of the, so even the, some languages, you're not allowed to make uh, verbs in the language out of variables. But you're allowed to make parameters to those verbs out of, the, out of parameters or the language. Log4j is not like that. It allows you to use a variable inside of JNDI. So if you're searching for JNDI, you're going to have a bad time. You can instead make J and D I all variables like dollar sign curly bracket bracket lower colon J curly bracket and then dollar sign curly bracket lower colon N curly bracket the whole way through. Or instead of lower, you can use upper and then cast that into a lower. Or you can take a known environment variable and reference a specific Character out of that environment variable to be used for the JNDI string. There's all kinds of different tricks that you can use in that way, and so unless, like I said, unless you actually have a parser uh, that understands this, it'll be very easy for us attackers to bypass regular expressions or something like that.
1: Yeah, nicely, nicely explained.
2: Yeah, that that is one of the things that like. So as an attacker, when there's a vulnerability. So I'm not really an attacker. I'm a pen tester. It's my job to find the vulnerability. Um, I try to exploit it in order to show the client the severity of it. Because maybe somehow I did get into your coffee machine and I can see what coffees you're brewing. But if it's not connected to the domain, if it's not connected to the network in some way, that kind of a thing, maybe I don't actually get anything good out of it. So in that way, any time... I, as a pen tester, I want to find every vulnerability that exists on your computer. I'm not going to. This J, uh, log4j, the vulnerability existed for, uh, what was it like two or three years before it was discovered?
1: I think it might have um, even, or I, th- I think the first feature might have been introduced in 2013, even. And then a, there was like a black hat talk on JNDI and like LDAP. Lookups yeah. in like yeah. 2016. Yeah, it's crazy I think, how long it
2: has been around. But no one discovered it. Even though it's everywhere, no one discovered it until this year. So, pen testers aren't going to catch everything, but if a pen tester's good, he should be catching what other good attackers would also catch. And so, that's the merit of pen testing, is the things that are known... Uh, to other attackers your helpful pen test attacker can find for you and that's why you want to make it easy for the pen tester you make it easy on the pen tester you don't egress filter burp collaborator during your pen test and then you make it harder on the real attacker and filter the do all kinds of egress filtering for them because if i can't get anything and you make it easy on me then the attacker who has it worse is
1: going to be in more trouble yes it's important to to cooperate.
0: (laughs) What resources can you suggest for identifying if or where uh, you have a log for shell problem?
2: With this vulnerability being as easy as it is, just log log the payload yourself on purpose and see if it makes a DNS request. You may as well. So there's a bunch of different tools that will find this vulnerability. Uh, One of them that I've seen is there's a burp suite extender which is you know like a plugin for Burp Suite called Log4Shell Everywhere, and it's based off of uh, James Cuttle uh, had collaborator Everywhere, which was just like sending a URL and everything that he could find in hopes of finding some kind of locking mechanism that reached out to URLs whenever it found it, and he found all kinds of really weird vulnerabilities with that and gave some talks about it, so that inspired this extension called Log4Shell Everywhere, which makes every single one of your requests that go through this burp proxy, it shoves a log4j payload everywhere inside of an extra URL parameter, in refer, in via header, in x origin URL, in destination, in forwarded, in x API version, in x arbitrary, in x real ID, or IP, sorry. So all kinds of stuff that uh, a lot of these are like proxy things and weird HTTP stuff that you don't normally see but might get logged somewhere, especially if if the request is going through a proxy or a WAF or something like that. So uh, there's a lot of really sneaky hidden spots where this vulnerability might exist that you
1: may not catch on to. And there's also a um, an NSE script um, that that someone has released where you can give it different payloads and run that against, you know, obviously, an Nmap. map. Uh, so in cases like that, that might allow you to test a lot of hosts all at once. Uh, but I, I don't think it's as comprehensive, at least for websites, uh, as the as the Burp one.
2: Yeah, uh, NSC scripts are awesome. You can also check out Zap. Uh, Zap has I know they have at least a couple extensions. Or uh, plugins that do that act like Burp. Zap has gotten really cool. Actually, they, they have a they're they do a lot of uh, automated stuff, so you can script Zap to do stuff. Um, so it's also a great means of testing for this. I suspect, I'm not sure. I suspect they have something like Glog for Shell Everywhere in Zap, but if not, that it's comparable. I believe.
1: Yeah, it it has to exist, and
2: if it doesn't, it will very soon. Yeah, maybe I'll add it myself. Zappa Zap is free, and that's one of the uh free and open source, whereas uh burp uh to use burp extension. No, I think you can use some extensions for free in burp, but not yeah. all of
0: them. What I saw, I'm pretty sure the one you're talking about, though, you have to have the professional. I'm pretty sure. That makes
2: sense because you need the collaborator. The collaborator yeah. with uh burp professional only. You might be able to if the uh if Log4Shell Everywhere is open source, you can probably uh, modify it. It looks pretty simple. They're just jamming a string in everywhere. You could change the string to your own DNS server if you have one. Or uh, there, I think there's a couple public burp collaborator type things that aren't burp collaborator uh, that you can sneak it in there, uh, depending on, of course, whether uh, the license
1: for Log4Shell Everywhere yeah, the, there were two that I was kind of collecting. I uh, haven't, haven't tested them myself, but the, the two that I was looking at were uh, Log DNS is like the self-hosted DNS server for logging that type of stuff. And um, like Canary Tokens, I think it's an online service that it just it generates a token, uh, a unique DNS server for you. And you can, if anyone visits or if anyone requests it, you can see who requested it. So those can be useful for for testing if you aren't able to use burp collaborator or depending on your circumstances. Additionally, I haven't checked it out. But
2: this is also a good uh, web extensions or web plugins, it would be easy to design a web plugin that does the exact same thing. So I'm sure it exists somewhere. And that might be the easiest solution at all, because you don't have to download anything separate. Uh, You don't need zap or something like that, you just install on Firefox's or Chrome's page the web extension, it just does its thing, it will, it'll probably have to use a public or a private DNS, you might have to set up a DNS server, or point it at your own DNS server in order to get the results, because it is an out of bound
1: request. But otherwise, that makes sense. I wonder if an extension like that would get past the Firefox or the Mozilla extension store guidelines.
2: Yeah, it's kind of safe uh, and secure. It would be kind of weird. I think it probably would if it was obviously for catching it. But even still, you can—you don't need it to be signed in order to add it to Firefox as in debug mode or in Chrome as debug mode. So mm-hmm. you can add it even if Firefox doesn't allow you to. It just won't. You have to explicitly add it every time you restart the browser, though, if it's not signed by
1: Firefox or Chrome. Yeah, that would be amusing to to submit that to. To the story, though. Maybe I'll submit one and see what happens. <laughs> you should. I'll give it a star.
2: <laughs> yeah. Colin's the only person to give a star so far, I think,
1: to my Firefox plugin that I wrote for catching cross-site scripting. It's called Evalvillain. Go check it out for all your JavaScript uh, testing needs.
0: Eval Evalvillain just got added to Zap, too, right? I'll include links to your blog and your post on Zap so that our listeners can check them out. As for log4shell, for what's the big takeaway that people should get after our talk today?
1: So you can't trust the output from log4j or the Java end on, on this side, I think is what uh, it kind of boils down to. But whatever is handling those requests, like a like a, a proxy or a non-Java uh, web server, you'll be able to see those strings. And there are some good documents out there for Basically, grepping through your log files to find where JNDI and these these different uh, attack vectors might be might might be used.
2: Yeah, like you said, it's it's kind of weird. You will and you won't see this in logs. If you don't see it in a log, that's the scary part because that means you're vulnerable. Um, it means that it was replaced with an actual Java object and someone could be running in code. If you do see it in the log, it means that. Whatever logged it itself is not vulnerable, but there might be something further down or further up that is logging that string and vulnerable. Um, so those kinds of things, I think the our blue team kind of guys are probably better at speaking at. But uh, in general, I think for the the take away from the pen testers is you uh, you never know. As a pen tester, I'm always I'm still surprised where where payloads end up landing in weird ways and causing execution in strange places. And that's going to be the big thing with Log4j is, it's uh, like, it reminds me of a virus or, of a uh, yeah, like, of COVID that like, if it gets anywhere near, if Log4j's vulnerability gets anywhere near a Java application, it'll be infected. And you, <laughs> um, and you need to patch, you need to, you know, get vaccinated for your servers. And you never know, like, what servers are sitting around unvaccinated, so to speak, that that's the, that's the thing that I would be worried about, if I was someone with a with servers,
1: you know, what, what is using Java? Also, if you use log4j, if you're using JNDI, how you're using it, and if there are any places where a user or a piece of data might be able to get into there, like, it definitely comes down to a lot of testing. I think a lot of the responsibility is also on the Java devs to and, and like those build systems to to make sure that you're using the patch libraries or if you can't update, just go in or I um as as a red team I can't really speak much, I think, to 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 the blue side of it, but it it's often as as simple as removing the the classes for that, that J and D I lookup. So, you know, it's just not uh you know, if, if it wants to use it, it can't because it's not even available in the library. So that, that's one advantage or one upside to, to using Java is you can, you can yank out classes pretty easily.
0: All right. Well, that's all for now. Remember to stay tuned for part two of our Log4Shell follow-up series. I'll be chatting with some of our SOC team about what they've been seeing these past few weeks and what it means for your security. Until next time, stay safe.